I'm Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Um, this week's case covers what uh, very well may be the first female serial killer in uh, the good old U.S. of A. One Belle Gunness. Now, some sources credit her. <laughs> if that is the right phrase, with being the first female serial killer ever. But Amelia Dyer and Marion Cotton would likely dispute this. Yeah. So we will stick with the title of first female serial killer in the USA. Yeah. So let's get into it. Yes. Um, and pronunciation disclaimer. We're not Scandi. <laughs> Well, no, I this, am uh, of Scandi descent, but I don't speak any of the languages, so. And I definitely don't, so uh, bear with us, and apologies, as always, in advance, and probably will apologize again at the end, just for good measure. But here we go. Belle Gunness was born Brynhild Paul's, Paul's daughter Storset, I think. We think, maybe, yes. Um, in the small fishing village of Sel- Selbu in Norway on November 11th, 1859. Her parents ran a farm, but moonlighted as circus performers, and Brynhild would sometimes appear alongside them as a tightrope walker. I think that sounds fun. I know, right? Uh, but also just like, they're farmers, but also circus folk. Yeah. Like, it's delightful. I just think it sounds so much fun. Like, okay, so we have a farm, but we're going to moonlight as sex performers. Yeah. Like, that's great. I love it. I went to circus camp for two years, so I really appreciate this. Are we going to have to talk about this after recording? Because this <laughs> sounds interesting. <laughs> Hang on. Let me make a note of that. Okay. Okay. Good. On my little, little post-it notes. Uh Taylor about circus camp. <laughs> like four exclamation marks, cause I can't believe I haven't told you about that before. N- neither can I. I am very upset, and I have many questions. It's not as and exciting as you think. I promise. <laughs> depending on the answers, I may make her do a bonus episode on it. Okay, that's fair. All right, but circus circus folk aside, um, we don't know much else about her early life, but we do know that she was the youngest of eight children. Uh, and one of her older sisters, Anna, or Anna maybe, um, had moved to Chicago sometime in the 1870s. Uh, one story we do know about her uh, is that in 1877, uh, Brynhild, or... Bell, later to be known, uh, was pregnant and attended a barn dance. And a man who was also at the dance kicked her so hard in the stomach that she miscarried the baby. Uh, But because he was from a rich sort of upstanding local family, he was never charged with this assault. Um, I I love that all the sauces, like, because obviously we've just described him as upstanding, but like all the sauces, like, like oh he's from like a good family upstanding blah 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 and i'm like anyone who goes around kicking pregnant women just anyone who goes around kicking women 
Kicking people? Just like, that is not a good upstanding family. That is a rich family. There is a difference. Yeah, and also just like, yeah, if you're kicking everyone, then you're not upstanding. You're a dick. Yeah, you're just an asshole. Um, so, yes, because of his status, he was never charged with this assault. Um, but a few months after she miscarried, this man died from stomach problems of a mysterious variety. Gastric fever, perhaps. We don't know. See, gastric fever was never specifically mentioned. Oh, well. So she hasn't been reading Marianne Cotton's playbook. Um, no. Uh, but, so it is believed that this mystery kicker may have been her first victim. So, in... 1881, Brunhild joined her sister Anna in Chicago and she anglicized her name and began going by Belle or Bella, Paul status. So she completely dropped the surname and settled into the already sort of well-established Scandinavian community in Chicago. And in 1884, Belle married Mads Sorensen, who was a, also a Scandinavian migrant. We're not sure which Scandi or Nordic country he came from. One of them. Um, yeah, one of them. It just says like Scandinavian. I'm like, they are different countries. <laughs> it's like, it's like when Americans say, "Oh, I went to I went to Europe for the summer." Right. Well, did you go to like a forest in Finland, or did you go to a beach in Spain? Yeah. Or somewhere in the middle. <laughs> bit bit different. Be specific. Yeah. So, she married Mads. And together, the couple had a fairly happy life, from what we know. They went on to have uh, four children. There's Axel, Caroline, Myrtle, and Lucy. And then they fostered and eventually adopted a fifth child named Jenny. But Axel and Caroline both died uh, from acute colitis around their second birthdays. Mm. So the different sources, some say that they were all biological children and some say that they were all adopted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the dates for things are so wildly different between different sources. So, yeah, we've done our best. Yeah. Uh, the couple also ran a sweet shop in Chicago. Uh, the only real drama surrounding their marriage was the fires that seemed to plague their homes and business. This is never a good thing. Never a good sign. No. Uh, twice the family home burnt down. Uh, everyone got out alive, thankfully. And in 1897, the sweet shop was burnt to the ground. Thankfully, in each instance, the couple were very well insured and soon managed to rebuild their lives. And some reports say that this was the only time the sweet shop ever actually made money. Oh, no. was, <laughs> was when it burnt down and they got the insurance money. So, um, I don't know, maybe she just didn't have very good business then. That's not what you want to hear. <laughs> so, despite the the fires and the sort of infant mortality that was happening 
all was well in the Sorensen house until 1900 when Mads Sorensen suddenly died. Uh, Belle claimed that he had been suffering from a headache, and so she had given him something for the pain. But uh, then when she checked on him later in the day, he was dead. Just, you know, dead. Um, yeah, and this was like a powdered painkiller or something that she gave him, um, which I forget the name of off the top of my head. Quinine? Quinine? Go with that. That's interesting. No idea what it is, but... Well, quinine is uh, was originally used to make tonic water. Or tonic, oh. so... It's a and, it's a root tonic, I think. Yeah, tonic by its its definition is like to make you feel better. Yeah. So so that would make sense. Yeah. Um it's not just for your gin. Yes. But anyway. Yeah. So he died. He was just dead. She didn't know why. Quinine poisoning. Quinine poisoning, yeah. Two autopsies were carried out on good old Mad Sorensen. The first said he had been poisoned. But uh, the second overruled that and said he had died of a heart attack. And the second autopsy had been conducted by the family's doctor who had uh, previously treated Mads for heart problems. Um, but regardless of what actually caused Mad Sorensen's death, Belle and the children were well taken care of. Are you, are you surprised? Because you see, Mads had taken out life insurance on himself quite sensible when you have a, a growing family mm -hmm. but the policy was about to lapse and so he had actually taken out a different policy but there was one day where these two policies overlap june 30th 1900 the one day on which bell would have been able to claim on both policies and would you believe it as luck would have it <laughs> for bell matt Sorensen died on the day these two policies overlapped what and a winky dink i know so from these two policies bell claimed a total of five thousand dollars which today would be a hundred and fifty four thousand seven hundred and thirteen dollars and ten cents or £120,449.56. So no That's small a amount. nice amount of money. Yeah. Um, but uh, despite Mads' cause of death being recorded as heart failure, all accounts agree that he showed signs and sy symptoms that were similar to our dear old friend strychnine poisoning. <laughs> Um, which, you know, was the original overturned finding. And while we're hovering around the subject, the symptoms of acute colitis in small children is also the same as strychnine poisoning. But I'm sure this is just a coincidence. It's, yeah, it has nothing to do with anything, I think. Um, so shortly after collecting the life insurance money, Bell decided to leave Chicago behind and, uh, went to begin a new life in the town of Laporte in rural Indiana. Uh, in 1901, Bell bought a farm in Laporte, which was um, sort of another area that had been 
very popular with Scandinavian immigrants. Um, the farm was a six bedroom building and was also a former brothel. How fancy, how fun. I know all these, all these lovely, lovely old farmhouses. Oh yeah. Was a knocking shop. Definitely a brothel. Um, so just before her move to Laporte, Belle met her second husband, Peter Gunnis in Chicago Uh, And he moved to Laporte with her. The couple were married sometime in 1901, but uh, the union would only last for a short eight months before it would come to an abrupt end with Peter Gunnis's death in early 1902. So one day, Peter was in the kitchen reaching for something on a shelf when he lost his balance and fell over and everything came crashing down upon him. You know, as it does in many a cartoon. Yes. Yeah. And of these things that came crashing down upon him was their meat grinder. Oh. Which just happened to cave in his skull. Ouch. Peter's death was recorded as a tragic accident. However, many commented that the injury perfectly matched that of a hammer blow. I want to know how many people are just coming around and having a look at the skull of this poor man who's just had his head caved in. Yeah. And also, like, do meat grinders really have the same footprint as hammers? I mean, I imagine a a hammer. So a hammer is going to be much smaller. Yeah. So if you're going to kill someone with a hammer blow and then say it was a meat grinder, just drop the grinder on top after the, the hammer blow. Yeah. You have to, like, follow through. Yeah, cover your tracks, people. Yeah, but or don't. But also because like don't, that's murder. Yeah, and don't kill people with hammers or meat grinders. Also, reading this this part of him like reaching up and having everything crashing down on him is my life because I am too short to reach the top shelf, and we keep all of our Tupperware lids on the top shelf in a bucket, so I have to sort of reach up on my tiptoes with my fingertips, pull the gently coax the bucket of Tupperware lids out, and then nine times out of ten, they all come raining down on my head. Yeah, but it wasn't a meat grinder that he was, like, reaching for. That was on a different shelf. Well, then that's suspicious, isn't it? Yeah, it was like he was reaching for one thing and everything fell on top of him. Like Just everything in the entire, like the chairs, the kitchen table, yeah, the soap from in the sink, like everything. Yeah. God. Everything just fell on top He's of it. He's got to be more careful. <laughs> yeah. Um, this actually was not the first fatality for the Gunnis household. Um, Peter Gunnis was a widower and brought two daughters with him into the sort of blended household uh, with Belle and her children. Um, but one of those daughters died under suspicious circumstances. Um, and as a result of this, he sent his eldest daughter, Swanhilda, to live with relatives elsewhere. Uh, what a name. I was just going to say, I, I love that name, Swanhild. It's, it's, it's majestic. Yes. I hope she had a very long neck <laughs> to really live up to that name. Um, yes. So he sent his daughter, Swanhild, off to live with relatives somewhere else, um, which, you know, honestly was probably the best decision Peter Gunnis ever made, considering. 
Um, the local coroner also noticed signs of poisoning and ordered a full inquest into Peter's death, but no evidence could be found. And so the original recording of a tragic accident was upheld. Um, throughout the inquest, Bell played the grieving widow complete with crocodile tears. Um, and at the same time, her foster daughter, Jenny was just telling her school friends that her mother had killed her stepfather by hitting him in the head with the meat cleaver, but nobody seemed to pay attention to this. Yeah, somebody probably should have paid attention to this. I think that's correct. They really, really should have. A man with horrendous like skull trauma dies and his stepdaughter is like, oh yeah, mum was hitting him with a meat cleaver. Yeah, oh, my mommy did that. Oh, what? What, Jenny? You need a timeout? Okay. No. What a, what a fun little child. She's always coming up with these wild stories. Don't know where she gets these ideas. You're so ideas. crazy. You're so silly. <laughs> Once again, Belle and the children were in luck. Because there was a life insurance policy on Peter Gunners' life. Shocked. Uh, which totaled $4,000. Uh, which today would be $120,314. Or... Or £95,219. Again, doing uh, well for herself here. Yeah, so that's like quarter of a million dollars she's got. Uh, less than six months after Peter Gunness's death, Belle gave birth to a son who she named Philip, but she would never marry again. Uh, various farmhands moved in with the family to help run the farm. But after a few years alone, Belle decided she wanted a proper companion again. Preferably one with a lot of money. I mean... Because clearly a quarter of a million wasn't good enough. No. Um, and so in 1905, she figured out a quite efficient way to earn money. Lonely hearts columns. Aha. Um... So we have uh, spoken a little bit about Lonely Hearts columns in an earlier episode. I don't know which episode it was. Do you? Um, see, I want to say like Susie Lamplew. Oh, yeah, maybe. But yes, to, to summarize again, for anyone too young to have encountered them or for anyone to, to, too old that they've forgotten them. Um, Fetuses and fossils. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, a Lonely Hearts column was sort of the print version of your modern dating app. Instead of a profile, you wrote a short bio, which was printed in, you know, whichever newspaper or magazine of your choosing. And if people liked the sound of you, they responded and then, you know, started up a correspondence or whatever. Um, I think we should go back to this. <laughs> Because you've got to really put the effort in, yeah. not just send a dick pic. Yes, and also you have to like really think about what words you can abbreviate to, to meet the character <laughs> count uh, to oh, make it still like legible. <laughs> um, so I, I agree. I think that would be a fun time for everyone. And hey, in these days of socially distanced dating, like what's better to keep everyone safe than a newspaper correspondence? Exactly. I mean, you'd have to revive the newspapers first, but that's a whole nother. That's a 
then we'll figure that out. It's fine. It's just a minor yeah. detail. Um, anyway, so Belle, Belle liked the socially distanced dating game, so she began placing adverts in uh, magazines and newspapers which catered to the Scandinavian community in the USA. One of these ads read, quote, <clears throat> comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of gentlemen equally well provided with view to joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. I think that's going to be the name of my autobiography. Triflers need not apply. <laughs> and uh, for anyone who's wondering, uh, comely widow. So comely apparently means um, sort of uh, kind of attractive. Yeah. She's taking liberties there. <laughs> Our beauty standards really have changed in the past hundred years. Yeah, she. I mean, they've changed in the past hundred days, probably, but you know. See, I wouldn't really provide her as a comely woman. Maybe more of a homely woman. Yeah, definitely homely. I think she missed so, a letter there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I read it and I was just because like, I didn't know what comely meant. We don't use that word anymore. <laughs> and so I just did. That's what I assumed it meant something kind of like homely. But then I was like, that's not really attractive for a lonely hearts column and then i was listening to another podcast uh who did an episode on bell gunners and they explained it and i was like ah yeah she was lying yeah yeah a homely widow is not a very good way to advertise yourself to anyone <laughs> even if it is even if it is true <laughs> um we will post a picture of bell oh, on yes. social media and you can understand where we're coming from judge for yourself um Another ad read, Wanted, a woman who owns a beautifully and valuable valuable located farm in first-class condition wants a good and reliable man as partner in the same. Some little cash is required for which will be furnished first-class security. Boy, did that sentence piss off the grammar check. <laughs> yes. In Google, uh, Google Docs. It it did. While she was waiting for a suitable man, when I say suitable, I mean rich, to reply to her Lonely Hearts ads and move to the farm, Belle had quite a large turnover of farm hands. Most of them worked there for a few months and then suddenly disappeared. Belle would tell neighbours and friends that they'd either left for another job, just moved along, you know, just generally disappeared. And this works quite well for, for Belle because a lot of farm workers during that period were transients, basically. They came and went. It was not a, a community who put down roots anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that was true right up until the 80s, really, when, you know, think back to the episode we did on the Copelands. Yes. In, like, rural Missouri. They had, you know, farmhands right up until the 80s who, you know, they were able to claim were transients and just came and went. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, actually... Uh, this lady's kind of like a, a combination between like Marianne Cotton and, and the, the Copelands. <laughs> a weird yeah. combo. 
Except instead of cattle rustling, she's farm hand rustling. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. That sounds very much like an innuendo. <laughs> it was true as well. She was. <laughs> so in interviews, her postman said that she received eight to ten letters a day from potential suitors, which is a fucking lot. Yeah. I don't even get eight to ten messages a day. I don't think I get eight to ten letters a year, first of all. And certainly don't get eight to ten messages from anyone or anything. Except for maybe <laughs> like, you know, oh, your Tesco mobile top-up was accepted. Uh, for the next five years following Peter's death, the farmhouse may have well, may as well have had... A revolving door with rich men constantly coming into the farmhouse. But uh, most of these men were never seen again. I think a revolving door would work well. You get rich people, they come in, they give you them, you give you their money and then you just chuck them straight back out. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be a big door, like a big revolving door to get them in get the money and get them back out without them having to leave their little revolving booth but like it could be like but it's doable it, you know the ones at ikea like the big huge or like the ones that oh, like, like the airport yeah 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 so there's like the big section but you could break that into little smaller sections and then they're you know i think it's doable it's do oh. i gotta tell you living in new york city you get really well acquainted with revolving doors because most buildings have them because they're more energy efficient. They keep heat in during the winter. I see that, yeah. But I fucking hate them because people don't know how to use them. They get right up behind you in the same cubicle. It's like, no, no, this is a one person per cubicle situation. <laughs> or they whoosh, push it really fast when they get out. So then if you're in it behind or in front of them, you're just fucking hanging on for dear life. Like it's not good. Any, anyway, I feel, I feel like you have some unresolved trauma when it comes to revolving doors. Absolutely. <laughs> Do not like them. I, I don't, I, 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 this podcast needs to work out because I'm never going to get a job again because of all the peculiarities that I've aired about myself on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell all your friends to listen yeah. because we have shot ourselves in the foot. We're screwed. No, everyone's going to be like, these people are crazy. Yeah. Um, now, revolving door or no, uh, most of these men were just never seen again. And according to Belle, they would just leave in the middle of the night. Just leave casually. Uh, and she would cry to her neighbors every time one of these men left her uh, and say, you know, when, when will I learn? When will this stop? And uh, they all just thought she just had really bad luck with men. Yeah. Around this time, Belle's adopted daughter Jenny also disappeared. Belle just told everyone that she'd sent her to a finishing school in California. But there were reports that one of the, you know, many farmhands who worked on the farm uh, was the son of a neighbour 
He was named Emil, and he is in love with Jenny. And then suddenly, Jenny was gone. Now remember this, because it will become very important later on. It's on the test. Yeah. Um, There will be a test. You will be be graded max out of 10. uh, You have to be able to spell uh, Paul's dot. Paul's daughter, 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 daughter. I just want to say a daughter because it's, that's what it means. Paul's daughter. Yeah, but I can't, I can't. It's just, it's too hard. <laughs> so, you know, I'll take that hit on the, on the quiz. Like, I'll just give me nine out of, you know, go for nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so... While Belle continued on her quest for a rich husband, in 1907, one of uh, the farmhands, Ray Lampier, moved into the farmhouse and worked the land and quite possibly uh, worked Belle uh, because Belle took quite a shine to him. Uh, And the two were often described as on-again, off-again lovers. She was shagging him, but he wasn't rich enough for her. Yeah. That's what you're trying to say, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Ray was 37 years old and had quite a bad reputation for drinking, gambling, and womanizing. I mean, they sound like fun things. Yeah. You know? Um, He was also known to be just pretty lazy and useless. So I mean, this guy's just living my dream. Yeah. I mean, just drinking, gambling, womanizing, lazy, being lazy, and not actually farmhanding. No, I mean, he's not really doing any work. He's shagging the boss. Yeah. He's getting paid. He's doing. He's got a roof over his head. He's doing okay for himself. That's not a bad life. Hundred years ago, was it? No, especially in a in a house where people just keep disappearing. He had some staying power, so like, yeah. he's doing really well. I think. Um, But, you know, Bell soon realized that he had no money or really no financial prospects to get money. Uh, And instead, she decided to invite one of the men who replied to her newspaper ads uh, to live with her. Ray always resented the men that Bell brought into the house. um, And to a certain extent, he resented Bell herself. So later that year, Belle finally found a suitable potential suitor. A suitable suitor. Yes. Named Andrew Helgelian. He was a Swedish migrant who had settled in South Dakota. Now, Belle would always tell her potential husbands to liquidate their <laughs> assets, bring all the money with them, not tell anyone where they were going not suspicious at all in the slightest no i I just just bring all your money with you dude don't tell anyone you're coming to see me what the fuck i mean this is like internet dating 101 like no like meet at a coffee shop first leave your gold in the car but despite all of these red flags andrew happily traveled from south dakota to indiana bringing with him all of his money. <sighs> well, actually, sorry, that's not true. He brought a large amount of money, but also like a banker's certificate. Mm-hmm. 
which I suppose is like an early version of like a bank statement to say, oh, he has all this money, but rather than travel with it. Mm-hmm. Which he then withdrew once he got to Laporte. Uh. Uh, Ray Lampier was asked to move out of the farmhouse in the week weeks before Belle and Andrew were due to marry. But then, suddenly, after handing more than $2,000 over to Belle, which we worked that out, that's about $50,000. Yeah. Today's money, $60,000. Um. After he handed that over to Belle, Andrew just disappeared. Hmm. I know. Shocking, right? Hmm. Then, <laughs> Belle asked Ray to move back in again. Just... Uh, I mean... <laughs> and, Be- and and Ray was just like, no, fuck no. So, I mean, he... He does have, have some kind of a smidgen of self-respect just despite a bit the you know general layabout drinking gambling all other good things in life <laughs> um you know at this point he he does have a smidgen of self-respect and he basically tells Bell to go fuck herself because he's not going to <laughs> um but he then did start hanging around the farm and making a general nuisance of himself so Bell hired a new farm hand, uh, Joe Maxson, and Joe was a bit of a snitch, and told Bell every time he saw Ray, not just around the farm, but also when he saw him in town, heard anything about him, saw him in any of the bars. Joe, dude, little tattletale. Yeah. Um. Now, Ray had been heard in the bars around the port making threats about Bell. Um, and he was actually eventually arrested for harassment. And at one point, Bell tried to have him declared insane. But uh, this wasn't successful. Following this incident, Bell visited a local attorney and made out her will. And she told the attorney that Ray was out to get her and that she feared one night he would burn her house down. Hmm. Specific. Yeah, well, I mean, she was plagued with fires in Chicago. That's true. The flames followed her everywhere. Uh, (laughs) No. I think you should do the rest of this episode just in that voice. Okay. To the people of Laporte, Belle Gunnis was just your average neighbour. A good woman who suffered some extraordinarily bad luck. (laughs) I don't know who this is. It's gotten British, but I don't know how. Shit. I, I'm actually jealous because I can't do accents. I've always kind of had an ear for accents, but they tend to morph in the middle of sentences to different things. <laughs> so, no stain power. And just when you think poor old Belle couldn't suffer any more bad luck, on April 28th, 1908, just a couple of days after Belle made out her will, the what? Well, what are the chances? The Gunners farmhouse went up in flames. I'm shocked, shocked! I tell you, 
the new farmhand Joe Maxon woke around dawn uh, to smoke fill in his room. And he ran across the hallway to try and wake Belle and the children who still lived there. So that was Myrtle, Lucy and Philip. Uh, but he found that Belle's door was locked and he couldn't break it down. And as the building began to go up in flames, Joe the snitch just jumped from the first floor window or second floor to our American listeners. And he was the only survivor of the fire. Joe the snitch. <laughs> well, he was. I, know, but I feel bad. <laughs> I don't think anyone comes out of this story well. No. We definitely no. don't. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> uh, when the ash began to cool, investigators found the bodies of three children, uh, Myrtle, Lucy and Philip, and an adult who initially everyone believed was Belle. Uh, the local community mourned Belle and her family and fingers were very quickly pointed at Ray Lampier. I mean, two days after a will was made out, you know, because there, f- there was fear yeah. that... He was going to burn the house down. Word around town said he was he was itching for arson. Uh, <laughs> Ray was soon arrested for arson, and he eventually confessed, but claimed that Bell had paid him to set the fire so that she could fake her own death and escape. Uh, because you see, something else had happened just before the fire. When Andrew Helgelian disappeared, his brother Asel, we think is how you say it, A-S-L-E, began to worry about him, naturally, as one does, um, uh, because Andrew had told his brother that he would return within uh, a week or two. So his brother began to look through Andrew's home for signs of where he had gone and found numerous letters from a (laughs) bull... A bull. <laughs> a bull gunness. <laughs> she lived on a farm. It could have been. Right. Okay. So we can't record on a Friday because we lose our minds. We now can't record on Monday because we're not awake. Yeah. Uh, just, just closing that recording gap. <laughs> he found numerous letters from one Bell Gunness in Laporte, Indiana, telling Andrew that she thought he was the man for her. And to bring all of his money and or deposit certificates and also, you know, uh, pretty crucially not tell anyone where he was going uh, or who he was going to visit. So in March 1908, almost three months after he had last seen his brother, uh, Asil traveled to Laporte, Indiana, to try and track down his brother and this sort of mysterious Belle Gunness. And we'll circle back to to Aesil in a minute. But first, we need to talk about the bodies that were found in the remnants of the farmhouse. There were two young women, and it was widely accepted that these were the bodies of Myrtle and Lucy, who were Belle's daughters uh, from her first marriage. Her son, Philip, who was obviously her son from her second marriage. But the final body became very widely disputed. At first, it was just assumed that it was Belle. But the woman had been decapitated, which made identification a little bit more difficult, as you can I'd imagine. say so. The body was also much, much smaller than Belle, because Belle was a big lass. 
She was reportedly uh, six feet tall and weighed more than 20 stone. But because the body was that much, was that of a much smaller woman, uh, some say that, you know, it could have shrunk in the fire, but she couldn't have gotten shorter because of the fire. Mm, no, I don't think so. This, this confused me. How, you know, oh yeah, the body shrinks. Well, yeah, okay, body shrinkage is a thing. I'm not going into that. It's terrifying. Not something I want to think about. Yeah. But, you know, because of the intense heat, various parts of the body can shrink. Yeah. But you don't get shot. No, your skeleton doesn't shrink. No. Um, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know uh, weight in stones, 28 mm. stones is equal to 280 pounds or... Uh, 127 kilograms. So, indeed, yeah. not a small lady. No. But I was listening to another podcast um, who did an episode on Belt, and they were like, maybe it was just all the money she was stealing from all these men, and she was just wearing, like, these big dresses and skirts. <laughs> just, l- <laughs> And she was just hiding all the money under the skirts, <laughs> and I think that's a really good literally lining her pockets with money yeah (laughs) there you go yeah i think that's what happened and unfortunately i can't even take credit for it (laughs) i think uh, i think that's a good good possibility there i mean she had to put it all somewhere didn't she um so circling back around to asel um there are varying reports about whether or not he made contact with bell before the fire but uh, in a lot of places, it seems to be hinted at that there was contact and that Asel um, asking about his brother was the reason Bell needed to fake her death and escape. Although others say that Asel was sent a newspaper clipping about the fire and then he traveled uh, straight to Indiana after reading it. Now, one week after the fire at the Gunnis homestead, Asel walked into the Laporte sheriff's office uh, in hope of finding information on his brother's whereabouts. Nobody had any idea where Andrew Helgelion had gone, but police and local volunteers were still searching through the remains uh, of the farmhouse. So fearing the worst, Asel went to the Gunnis property to help with the search. Uh, Now, the main point of the search was actually to find the missing head of the adult female found in the ashes because after a week it still hadn't been found and without it the coroner couldn't make a a positive identification the sheriff at one point asked joe the snitch if there were any pits or holes that had recently been filled in on the property and joe pointed them towards a pit in the pig pen uh, which had been filled in just days before the fire. Joe claimed that Bell used it almost like a compost heap slash rubbish dump, throwing out you know any rotten sort of fruit and veg, coffee grounds, broken uh, crockery. Uh, upon further inspection, they discovered there were quite a number of depressions in the land, sort of in this pig pen. Uh, which looked as though they could have been dug out fairly recently. 
Uh, now, as an interesting side note, uh, the pig pen that this dumping hole or pit was in, the pen was surrounded by a six-foot-high fence that Belle had had built as soon as she moved into the farmhouse. Um, also, uh, something maybe another interesting, totally unrelated fun fact, pigs can only jump about three feet high. So, Apparently. We have not tested this no. out. Uh, if you would like us to do a scientific pig jumping podcast, um, let us know on Patreon and we can make that happen for you. <laughs> Officers and volunteers began digging through the pit and after getting through the rotten food and broken china, they were hit with the foul smell of decomposition. Our favorite. Now, this search was still only focused on finding the missing head and not really looking for other victims. Although why the head would be buried, I don't know. Yeah. Especially since it was filled in before she died. But, you know. Whatever. Minor details. <laughs> on the first day, they found parts of five different bodies. And on the second day, they found body parts belonging to a further six victims. Quicklime had been scattered over the bodies to try and speed up decomposition. Some body parts were wrapped in burlap. One of the sources said that the police stopped counting. That is not your job as a police officer to say, police officer to say oh well, we found 11 bodies, that's enough. Yeah, it's not, not really uh, shining a, a good positive light on... Laporte's and the Laporte police force. Sheriff's no. Yeah, so there were more bodies, but the police just didn't bother counting they them. They ran out of fingers. So, you know. They had 11 fingers? I don't know. They had a, 10 fingers and one toe. <laughs> a little wobbly, but, you know, got the job done. Yeah. Bell's most recent victim, Andrew Helgelian was found, as was Belle's adopted daughter, Jenny. Belle had told everyone, remember, that Jenny had gone to finishing school in California. In reality, she'd been murdered and buried in the pig pen. That sucks. Those are two very different things. Yeah. Um, now, there are two schools of thought as to why Belle murdered Jenny. Uh, now, remember when we said that the neighbor's son who worked on the Gunnis farm was quite taken with Jenny? Uh, well, there are some who believe that Belle may have killed Jenny out of spite because she was used to all the farmhands and sort of men in general falling at her feet and was jealous that this particular farmhand was more interested in her teenage daughter than in her. Yeah, we should also say that Emil, the farmhand, I believe was a similar age. He was only a teenager mm -hmm. as well. So that makes sense. Yes. Yes. In fact, it does. Um, so that's one theory. Uh, however, the most popular theory is that Jenny had suspicions about what her mother was up to. And she reportedly had begun asking her mother questions about why all these men suddenly would just leave in the middle of the night. Um, and also why there was a big hole in the pig pen. Good questions to ask. <laughs> um, so Belle had killed Jenny to silence her. 
Yeah, and I think that's more likely. Yeah, I think so too. So what is really sad is that, A, the police didn't even care enough to count how many victims there were, and B, because of this, most of them were never identified. Yeah. But examinations of the remains did show that they all had signs of trauma and concluded that most of them had suffered blunt force trauma to the head, and that's likely if not the definitive cause, a massive contributing factor. Yeah. Uh, locals who had been praising Belle as a woman with, you know, horrendously bad luck, who died trying to save her children in a fire, suddenly realised what kind of a person they'd been living next to for the past seven years. I'm completely losing <laughs> my voice now. <laughs> they were all familiar with Belle's lonely hearts columns and a desperate search for love. They now realise that these men hadn't stolen from her and just upped and left in the middle of the night as she had been portraying. Instead, she had stolen their money and valuables from them and buried their bodies in the pig pen in the dead of night. Bit of a different situation there. <laughs> you totally missed the pun. Dead of night. Oh. That's one you'd usually come up with. I thought you'd be proud. Well done, well done. Pun clap, pun clap. <laughs> Sorry, I'm uh, I'm not on my game today. <laughs> I can do <laughs> accents or I can do puns. I can't do both in the same episode. <laughs> okay. Um, so the story became a media frenzy because, of course, it would because it's fucking bonkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. I'd, I'd fucking cover this. Um, so uh, and naturally, people flocked to Laporte from all over the country to get a look at the remains of the murder house and the death garden. What a fun name that is. So 20,000 people traveled there uh, in one weekend, and the place became such an attraction that... Vendors set up shop along the road by the farm, uh, selling ice cream, popcorn, cake, and some sort of concoction called Gunnis Stew. No further details Delightful. were were uh, were furnished. So, <laughs> yeah, just just, just Gunnis Stew. stew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trains were overcrowded, and the people of Laporte. Uh, just couldn't go on with their lives because of all the tourists uh, flooding into town. Uh, people also began buying mementos, souvenirs of their fun, fun trip to the Death Garden uh, in the forms of in the form of items that survived the fire that were then auctioned off. Fun. This is all cre really creepy to me. The whole like murderbelia yes. thing. I find so creepy. It is horrible. Obviously, we are interested in true crime. Possibly too interested. Who's to say, really? But, yeah. like, I don't like the whole thing of, like, oh, I want to buy a tote bag with Ted Bundy's face on it. It's like, uh, no. Uh, I don't want to do that. I'm interested in the story and I'm interested in the story of his victims. I don't like him. He's a bad guy. Yeah, that's that's the thing. 
we have laws that stop criminals profiting from their crimes in the form of like books and yeah. things like that and interviews and all that kind of thing it's i also i just find it so distasteful that then someone else is getting to profit from their crimes mm-hmm. all these all these looky loos are buying pieces of the house uh, uh but despite all of this nobody could find the missing head the local doctor or coroner couldn't confirm whether or not the body was bell but her dentist said that if her false teeth were found he would be able to identify them because he made them for her so two weeks after the fire the sheriff sent prospectors in to dig through the rubble and find bell's gold teeth and as luck would have it can you believe this a set of dentures were found in the ashes and rubble. The false teeth were remarkably intact for having been in a massive house fire. And the local dentist confirmed that they were a set he had made for Belle. So, with this, the coroner finally declared Belle Gunness dead and Ray Lampier was indicted for murder, uh, for the murder of Belle and her children. And the murders of all the bodies found buried around the property. I mean, that's a bummer. Yeah. Like, okay, fine for the, like, they've, they've you know, quote unquote, identified this, this body as belonging to Bell Gunness. But... He shouldn't be held responsible for all the bodies. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like the it's a bit like the, the sheriff's department is just like, okay, we need to cover our asses because people were being murdered for seven years and we didn't. Nobody notice. fucking knew. Yeah. So we're just gonna pin it all on this one person and yeah. people will be happy. Yes. Also, can I just say, when I read through the script this morning, I thought it said uh, the sheriff sent prosecutors into the rubble to find Bell's gold teeth, but prospectors makes a whole lot more sense. <laughs> I don't, and I didn't even think anything of it when I read it. I was just like, oh yeah, prosecutors out into the dirt to search for teeth. Like, obviously, that's <laughs> what would happen. <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean, they were gold yes, teeth. So, be worth yeah, a bit of money. So, there you go. Um, now, uh, because this case was such a sort of huge national frenzy, people started to become really divided over whether or not they thought Ray did it or Bell did it. Um, and it was actually split very much along uh, party lines, uh, political party lines, if you will, not just uh, telephone party lines. Uh, now, I really shouldn't riff. It's not it's not good for anyone. Um, <laughs> now, thanks to newspapers with very clear party affiliations, Republicans claimed uh, that Bell was dead and Ray was responsible and must be put to death. Uh, so the people of Indiana felt that justice had been served. Meanwhile, Democrats claimed she was alive and that Ray was innocent and nobody should be sentenced to death just for the illusion of justice having been served. Um, Because 
actually it should be the right person who gets sentenced, not just any person. Yeah, and I don't think it's, you know, a big political statement to say that the right person should be put to death. Yeah, generally speaking, that seems like a pretty nonpartisan idea, but, you know, who knows? Um, Now, uh, while this whole back and forth of, like, did she, didn't she, who did it, whatever, while all that's going on, people from all over the country were writing to officials in Laporte because they feared their missing loved ones may have been murdered and buried on the farm. Prosecutors were in a bit of a tricky situation because they had to admit that Bell was involved in the murders, or as they put it, engaged in the wholesale slaughter of humanity. But they also had to argue that she had been murdered, and there was very little sympathy for Bell in Indiana. No shit. They also had to admit that Bell had done everything she could in the weeks leading up to the fire to discredit Ray. And portray him as insane which this is just a, a side thought that i had if she had managed to have him declared insane would he have been able to stand trial for the murders and the fire i don't know that's but just an, 1908 probably they didn't care it's an interesting side thought it is it's an interesting supposition there mm. so Investigators in Indiana had also discovered that back in Illinois, Matt Sorensen, Bell's first husband, had died on the one day two life insurance policies overlapped, and that the first autopsy had concluded strychnine poisoning. So it was becoming a very difficult line for them to walk. Bell was a serial killer, a fraudster, a liar, but in this particular instance, she was murdered and her body miraculously shrunk in the fire. Yeah, definitely a, a tricky tightrope act, if you will. Dum, dum, Bell, Bell would know all about that. Despite all this, Ray Lampier's uh, show trial? It was a show trial, let's just <laughs> uh, Ray Lampier's show of a trial went ahead. Um, he maintained his innocence, but was eventually found guilty of starting the fire. A chemist spoke on his behalf at the trial, claiming to have found traces of strychnine in the bodies of the three Gunnis children, although that was not what had killed them. Um, and this cast doubt on his guilt in terms of the murder charges. So he was acquitted of murder, but sentenced to 21 years for arson. Ray Lampier died a year later in prison after contracting tuberculosis. Um, now, he supposedly confessed to the prison chaplain before his death that he witnessed Andrew Helgelian's uh, death and demanded hush money from Bell, but instead she fired him, and with uh, Asil Helgelian trying to find his brother, she knew the game was up. So she framed Ray and escaped. He also said that there were rumors that Bell had hired a housekeeper in the days before the fire, and that was who the body in the fire belonged to. Sightings of Bell continued to be reported for the next 20 years. Many of them in the Chicago area, but she was also seen in upstate New York and even in the woods outside La Porte. Most of these sightings were investigated by police at the time but none of them ever led to anything 
these sightings ended or at least stopped being reported in 1930. So it's presumed that if she did escape and she then died sometime in and around 1930 uh, when she would have been age 70 or 71. Yeah. We still don't know the full extent of Belle Gunness's killings. Uh, estimates range from 20 to 40 people, including all six of her children, both of her husbands, one of her stepdaughters, and Andrew Helgelian. Uh, four men who disappeared after traveling to Indiana to marry a rich woman, uh, Olaf Jensen, Bert Chase, T.J. Tiefland, and Charles Nyberg, plus the others found buried on the farm, uh, were never identified um, or even recorded because the police, you know, got sick of counting after 11 bodies. Um, many of the farmhands were never tracked down or even looked for after Bell's death, so we also don't know how many of them uh, actually may have just moved on or how many met their death at the hands of Bell Gunnis. The headless woman presumed to be Belle was buried in a cemetery in Chicago next to the body of Mad Sorensen. Why? There is bad taste and then there is that. She murdered him. And they knew that at this point. Just, <laughs> Just seems rude. Yeah, like, okay, so this woman who is suspiciously smaller than the woman she's supposed to be and died in a fire and you know it's actually probably just another murder victim uh we're gonna bury her next to one of her early victims but also like imagine if 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 belgunas was alive and she happened to see this burial when she'd be like god fuck i already got rid of this guy years and years ago and now they're trying to bury me next to him again <laughs> yeah uh, however, in 2007, with the permission of Belle's sister's descendants, the body of the woman was exhumed with the intention of collecting a DNA sample to compare to Belle's current living relatives. But unfortunately, in the 99 years since the fire, uh, the body had decayed too much for a viable sample to be collected and the results were inconclusive. Bell's sort of schemes and scams had netted her the equivalent of more than $1 million in today's money. And uh, following her death, her sister Nellie Larson told the Chicago Examiner, my sister was insane on the subject of money. She never seemed to care for a man for his own self, only for the money or luxury he was able to give her. Uh, and that is the story of Belle Gunness also known as Lady Blackbeard, Hell's Bell, and the Black Widow. So, what do we think? Was she a survivor of uh, of this fire, or did she perish? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think she survived. Yeah. The, the thing that has always stuck out to me about this case is, why did she never kill Ray? Because he yeah. was just in a way she he had nothing she had nothing to gain from him except she could pin all the crimes on him. Yeah. Which also he was found guilty of arson but not murder and still got twenty one years. 
I know. I was like, that is a long ass sentence for arson. Yeah. And so that, because yeah, she could have eased, like, she's got rid of everyone else who's no longer useful to her. She could have easily got rid of him, especially when he rejected her. Yeah. Like, she could have just been like, all right, nah, I'm not having this mate. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm 100% sure that she did not die in that fire and she escaped because the body is the wrong size. I, it's just too weird also that the body was decapitated. Yeah. And the head wasn't found anywhere or any, any remnants of it at all, but the teeth were found and they were super duper fine. So just like, no, 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 I don't buy it. She walked away from that. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah, I definitely think she escaped. I think she realized that she could use Ray as like a a patsy Mm -hmm. um, and escape and start a new life. I mean, it's 1908. You could just move state and nobody would know who you were. See, I want to know if like some in some other Scandinavian expat community, a bunch of people started going missing around this time because like it seems like this woman wouldn't just stop because she had been, you know, sort of caught caught on to. No, and I mean, escaping and starting a new life, that's going to, you know, take a bit of cash. She's going to need to restock the skirts. She is. She's going to need to reline those pockets. So. So, yeah. Yeah. I, this is a great one. It's so fucked up. Yeah. But also. Yeah. And it's, it just shows how, how sad it was at those times where people could just go missing so easily and nobody noticed. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. And, and I mean, again, like, like so many other, um, cases that we've covered, like she knew who to pick. I mean, well, it's interesting because she had a very, she had two sort of very opposite, uh, victim profiles. Yeah. It's almost like polar opposites because you've got, you've got like the, the farmhands who are essentially part of a. The transient community, and I hate, I hate that word because it has such negative connotations. Yeah, but they're you know sort of, they're not, they're not a, a sort of part of permanent society in the town or or yeah. the state or whatever. And then you've got these really rich dudes who like obviously, just by the nature of keeping their money in banks and stuff, like they have to have sort of a foothold in society. Yeah. There's there's a paper trail if even if there's not someone actively looking for them. Yeah. The there's a literal paper trail in that there's a bank. Yeah. But I mean the common denominator is always money. Money or like yeah, she can she can get something from yeah. from them, from these people, whether it's like labor or companionship. Um or what, what was it? Comfort. Uh, yeah. Um, or, or yeah, or it's like cash or insurance, whatever it was. But yeah, definitely if, if you could help her out in any way, she was going to murder you. Yeah. That's, that's not how you're supposed to say thank you. 
No, not so much. Not usually. And on that note, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Come and find us on social media, Square Mile of Murder the podcast, and let us know what you think. Did Belle survive? Did she die? No. Was Ray innocent? Uh, um, how do you pronounce any of the things that we did not pronounce correctly? Yep. Feel free to come and tell us. We're on Instagram. We have a Facebook group. And we are also on Twitter uh, at Square Mile Pod. And if you'd like to support the show or go that one step further, you can join our Patreon from just $1 per month, which is about 80 pence, I think. Yeah. For $1, you get regular episodes a day early and a shout out on the show. Uh, $2, you also get some exclusive merch. $5 a month gets you a uh, gets you regular episodes early, exclusive merch, and a bonus episode every month. And for $10 or more a month, you get all that plus a second bonus episode every single month. Yes. And uh, this month, because it's Halloween, Ooh. we have some extra spooky stuff planned, uh, which will be available to all our patrons at every tier around Halloween, because we're just feeling extra generous for some reason. <laughs> this year's been rough. Let's all spread the love. Yes. Uh, yeah. So head over to patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder to sign up. Yeah. And this week we have a big thank you to our newest patron supporter, uh, Janet L. So thank you very much. Yes. Thank you very much. Very much appreciated. Um, and uh, if you don't have the spare cash, but you'd still like to, to help us out a little bit, um, we would so very much love it if you would go and give us a rating or review, um, particularly on Apple podcasts. Um, and yeah, just if, if you like it, just hit, hit those, hit those stars. Yeah. So, um, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and review takes very little time for you, costs you nothing and, uh, really helps us out a lot in return. So, uh, we very much appreciate you all and uh, love that you have listened this far. Good job. You get yeah. an award. You you passed the quiz. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this depends how much junk you leave in that we have rambled on about for... Oh, what? Hour 45. Oh, my God. <laughs> Won't be that long when you hear it, folks, yeah. but it'll, it'll be long enough. Yeah, we are also going to start putting gag reels on patreon <laughs> yes so yes. that's another reason to sign up so that's it thank you, thank you. Uh, we'll see you next week yep. for a brand new episode so thank you very much and yep. bye-bye bye.